0: As we walk through this series of messages, the Christmas playlist, we're reminded each week of the truths of the birth of Jesus Christ. And it's real easy in the Christmas season to lose the greatest gift that has ever been given is Jesus. It's real easy also to lose in the thought and the ideas of how Christ is giving to us Daily. And sometimes we miss those. We go through our day and we miss the gifts all around us and, and we lose sight of some of the most precious gifts that are out there because we're chasing this other thing, this, this gift, the coolest, the best, the, the one that everyone wants. And the reality is, is sometimes the gifts are around us, we take for granted and we forget that they are there. And the pursuits of silver and gold we miss out on some of the best gifts that we already have. First, Jesus, and then the daily things that Jesus does for us. Let me show you. Take a look at this. <laughs> I'm alive. I'm alive. <sighs> yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, hey, Christine, you're here too. Mm-hmm. I love you. I know. Dad. What's happening? Honey the power works. It's coming, it goes on and off. Whatever we want. <laughs> We've got clean water. Oh,
1: that's great. Look at that. Ooh. I bet I know
0: what this does. Oh, what do we got here, guys? <gasps> food. Mm, hey, I Davis. love food. What? A, a, a You have work? This is awesome. Look, listen here. Hey, the what? Jack, be careful. Whoa. I have a car. Did you guys see this? Yeah, you have a car. Have a car. A car. A car. <laughs> a car. <laughs> <laughs> and don't forget your coffee. I feel like I could just say, in Jesus' name, amen, go. Be reminded of what we already have. Sometimes in our pursuit of silver and gold, the newest, best, coolest. Possession, we lose sight of the greatest gift that has ever been given. And his name is Jesus. And sometimes because we've all been familiar and we've sat at 30 Christmas programs, we watched our kids and now their kids, and we participated in them. Some of us have been the sheep and the the goats and Mary and Joseph, and we've heard all the lines, and we've seen manger scenes and and it's real easy to walk into the Christmas season and become so familiar with it that we lose the mystery and the wonder of the greatest gift that's ever been given. My hope is this today. I pray that when you leave the room today that the Holy Spirit renews the wonder of the gift of Jesus Christ. My hope and prayer is in the giving the season in the receiving and a chance to show others that you love them and giving, that we don't lose sight of the greatest gift that's ever been given, Jesus Christ. It's real easy when we say, hey, let's turn to Luke chapter two and let's turn to Matthew chapter one. It's real easy for everyone to tune out and not even open up their Bibles and say, oh, I've already read it, I already know it. But my hope is that today God gives you fresh lenses, like the wonder of this birth, would come alive like never before because he is the greatest gift that's ever been given and will be given. Grab your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 2, and I encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, grab one. If you have a mobile device, turn to the passage. Open up your Bibles. Don't share with the person beside you. Open up your own, your own. Read it with your own eyes and turn to Luke chapter 2 and let's let's revisit this incredible birth and let's ask God to renew the wonder. Would you stand with me as we read Luke chapter 2 verses 11 and 12? And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand today. But turn to Luke chapter 2 and let's read as if we'd never read it before, let's read These two verses Luke chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Would you read it with me out loud? Ready, read. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Read it again with me. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. You may have a seat. Here's what I know can happen during this time of year. Familiarity can breed a casual disinterest and discontent with this miraculous gift. Jesus, when you become so familiar with it, when you've heard it over and over, the 10th, 20th, 30th, 40th, 50th time, and for me, 56 Christmases, it's real easy if we're not careful to say, yeah, I know it, I know what you're gonna say, Jim, I've already heard it, and it doesn't impact us anymore because we've let other things replace the wonder and, and, and the knowledge in the gift of Jesus Christ. I think it's true that somehow the miraculous birth of Jesus in many of Christians' hearts has just become a mundane thing. Yet we shouldn't allow it to happen. It was an earth-shattering, earth-shaking time when Jesus came. God became man. He became flesh and blood and moved into our neighborhoods. And some of us have lost the wonder of this gift in the pursuit of other gifts. He who has not Christmas in his heart will never find it under a tree or on Amazon. The greatest gift, the greatest satisfaction that can only fill the longing in our hearts is Jesus. Nothing on Amazon, nothing that is out there will ever replace. You will never find it anywhere else other than Jesus Christ. Let me just ask a few questions, and I want you to really be honest about this. Has the birth of Jesus lost its power in your life? Has it? Like you're saying, oh, Jim, I know what you're going to preach. I even preached it. I read it, and we talked to it with our kids. But has it lost its power? Have you begun the search for more elsewhere, some more silver and gold to fill this longing? Has the significance of Jesus' changing power, its gift, lost its priority and power in your life? Part of the struggle of Christmas is that we keep chasing the next thing with hopes that it will bring more satisfaction instead of feasting on the bread of life of Jesus Christ. Jesus is more than enough for you and me. Look again at this passage as if you've never seen it before. Look at verse 12 of chapter 2. Please look again. Just open up your Bibles, open up your mobile devices. Verse 2 says this This will be a sign to you. You would think, after hearing that from the angels, this will be a sign. There would be this cataclysmic explosion. There would be these bright lights, and, and all of a sudden, neon would pop on the scene. Yet, this says, This will be a sign. Just take a close this. You will find a baby. I love, just stop there. You will find a baby. You mean to tell me that, that Jesus, the Messiah, the Immaculate Conception, is just a baby? It reveals his humanity. In the Greek, this word baby really means infant or newborn, like nothing spectacular. Just an ordinary entrance the same way we came into the world. To say that Christ was born as a baby brings us face to face with his humanity. And that's important because reality is this, God became man. He was not half man and half God. He was fully both, like wrap your mind around that for a second. Please try to. And if you can figure it out, then you're 10 million times brighter than me. How can God be fully God and fully man at the same time? That is, will never happen, has never happened, and will never happen again. We read it as if, yeah, he became the incarnate form of man. He was God 100%. Like, that is mind blowing information. Thank you for that amen. God became man because he loved us, because we needed a sacrifice. Matthew said later, he tried to describe it, and I love how Matthew said, he was very, like, to the point, Matt, when he wrote, and he says that she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sin. Amen? There's the gospel. Like, I love Matt. He doesn't beat around the bush. He said she will give birth to a son. His name is Jesus, and he will save the people from their sins. That is mind-blowing theology. The language is simple. But it's incredibly miraculous. You see, up to this point, keep in mind, sometimes we lose sight of context. Up to this point, 400 years of darkness, the prophets hadn't spoken, people were, were, were leaving the faith. Like, like we sometimes, you hear me say, sometimes we pray six weeks, eight weeks, six months, one year, we could say, God, where are you at, God? We wanna walk away from God after a year because it didn't work out the way we thought it should work out. This is 400 years, people lived and died. Another group of people lived and died and lived and died and lived and no one spoke. No no prophet was speaking. Minor prophets, major prophets. No one was speaking. And yet many people say, is, is God really? Those 456 prophecies of the Old Testament, how come they're not being revealed? Do, should I believe that there's a God? God, where are you? It's been 400 years. And then on the scene pops this God child that fulfills prophecy. It was planet-shaking information for the world. You know what else it meant? No more blood sacrifice. No more sheep. No more goats. No longer did they have to run to the barn and grab an animal once a year and just offer this sacrifice to cover their sin because the sacrifice Jesus was on the earth. That's good news. Financially, it was challenging for families who didn't have a lot to find a sacrifice. So now for the first time, it didn't cost them money because the game changer was here. His name was God. God was with us. I love what Paul he tried to describe this, like this incarnate God. in the best way he could. Look at Philippians chapter 2. He tried to describe the coming of the Lord. Please turn there. Come on, help me out. Philippians chapter 2. Turn there with me. Keep your finger here, Philippians chapter 2. May we never lose sight. May we say, I already know that. I know what it says. Open your eyes and let the Spirit bring the new wonder of this birth. Philippians chapter 2. Paul trying to describe God becoming man, and he says this in verse 6. Who? Jesus. Being in the very nature what? What's the word? God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own what? I want to say, are you kidding me? If I got the God card in my pocket, I'm using it all the time. Like any moment. He had the God deity with him. He could have chosen so differently. And yet he didn't use it to his own advantage, Paul said. Imagine, just pull away. Imagine, uh, jump into our time frame. Imagine Mary and Joseph now giving birth, coming into our time frame, checking in at a hotel. And as Mary and Joseph walk up to the hotel, they say, do you have a credit card? Credit card for, for charges? We need to have a credit card. In C- case you have amenities, in case you want a, a late night snack, can we have a credit card? Can you imagine like, like walking up, it's Jesus, like, credit card? I'm God! I don't need a credit card. And then can you imagine the clerk behind the counter saying, is it a boy or is it going to be a girl? Notice says she's pregnant. What's going to be? By the way, what's his name? What His name's going to be Jesus. He's going to be the Messiah. Cool, you need a pack and play? That's how the people responded. He was the God-man on earth. Jesus made himself nothing, but it didn't change his status in heaven. See, sometimes we scoff at the Jews and we say, oh, I can't, I can't. I don't understand how Jewish people can not think that that's the Messiah. How in the world can a Jew? Well, the reason why, why, why? Because Jews wanted a political king. They wanted someone to rule and, 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 and push back and defeat the Roman culture during that day. And so when Jesus came, they were like, that can't be the Messiah. He came as a baby. What kind of king would, what kind of Messiah would be born to a woman? Jesus would. You see, the Jews miss Jesus, and so does the world today, because they cannot see the divine in the ordinary. You see, has familiarity with the virgin birth robbed you of the miraculous conception of Christmas. You see, if we were God and checking into a new planet, we would come so differently. Yet He came, fully man, because we needed a sacrifice. Fully God, fully man. He checked into Earth as as man. I mean, every time I fly overseas, I, I, every time I fly overseas, just our most recent one in, in, in September. And we were flying from Iraq and it's a 14-hour flight. Every time I go, I just think, man, if I could, I would fly first class, if I could stretch out. And every time I see those people sitting there all smug and thing, I am so jealous. I gotta battle it. Like, you get that bed for 14 hours and I got this. You know, Jesus chose coach over first class. He didn't have to, but he, he came simply. He came. He didn't, wave his, he didn't wave his God card. He didn't use it as an advantage. He came as a man, a baby born on earth. First class for coach. He left the throne room and the chair of adoration in the comforts of heaven for the water of a womb. He attached himself to the placenta and entered earth through a birth canal. Are you kidding me? He traded his glory for your sin and my sin and my suffering. Are you kidding me? He gave up hanging with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit for hanging on a cross. Are you kidding me? Maybe we let... All the Christmas plays and pageants and, and even the Christmas, singing of the Christmas carols reduce the miraculous birth of Jesus to nothing more than a good deal on Amazon or Black Friday bargain. Why? Have you lost the awe and wonder of God? You find yourself like thinking all about you and your suffering and your pain and your hardship and you want attention. When Christmas, all the attention in the rest of the world and the rest of the year should be placed on Jesus. We're so selfish. We get upset if someone doesn't call us. We get upset if someone doesn't check in with us. We get upset if we don't get attention, yet attention should be never drawn toward us. Jesus gets all the attention. He came simply Luke said to earth for us, and then he said, he was wrapped in cloths, my King James upbringing swaddling clothes. Do you ever wonder why he was wrapped in swaddling clothes? did you realize like during this time that most babies didn 't live past one year old because of disease and viruses and sicknesses. You see, they didn't have hospitals and emergency rooms, and they didn't have pharmacies. You didn't call your doctor ahead of time. You didn't. You weren't able to go on your phone and get and get a, and get a, a prescription. You, you you didn't have that. And so, when a baby was born, literally, Mary took Jesus. She took cloths and she wrapped him around his legs, covered every part of his leg, and then wrapped his other leg and other leg, and then wrapped his arms, clean up to his shoulders and under his armpits and then she would wrap his torso and so as baby jesus was in the manger it was literally he was literally a mummy who couldn't move he was helpless the god man fully god fully man was reduced to a mummy in a manger why because he loves us come on that's god And I've said it before, but it's worth repeating. It's just this picture. Like, he reduced himself to the size of an embryo The God Man Look, came to earth. Think about this for a second. This is God coming to earth. The size of a granule of salt. Just picture that for a second. Like, the king of kings, lord of lords. Literally, he reduced himself to, listen, a grain of salt, an embryo starts as the size of a granule of salt. That's what Jesus did for us. He said, I love you so much that I will become basically nothing. That's what he did. Like, if that doesn't blow your mind, then holy cow, then someone give you an elbow. And yet we get say, why don't they give me attention? He didn't even look for attention. He reduced himself. You want to follow Christ? Get out of your own way. And then you'll become like Christ. You see, imagine seeing the Messiah wrapped in swaddling clothes, unable to move. The King of kings and Lord of lords reduced to a mummy. The irony in that is that the world had a disinterest for him and no room in the end. And sadly, for many, many years, nothing has changed. Jesus has just become an option among many in a competition for the next best girl, next best guy, next best relationship, next best possession, next best silver and gold, instead of making Jesus the best. You see, we've replaced him with all these other bells and whistles. And so Luke just says, there he was. There was a baby. He was born as his humanity. He was wrapped in cloths, revealing his helplessness. And then he says this. He was lying in a manger. Have you ever thought about that? Why did he? It's a picture of his humility. He was born most likely in a feeding trough. Or in a hollowed out cave on the side of the hill. He went from the throne room to a feeding trough. He made himself nothing, Paul said. If it had been you or I, we would have concluded when we looked at this baby, all wrapped up as a mummy, we would have thought this poor young couple, boy, they're down on their luck, aren't they? Nothing about the outward circumstances pointed to a king. He came in a simple way, and he rode coach all the way to earth. I'm always humble when I respond to that picture in my mind. How far Jesus stooped to show us love? I often think about that at graduations and watching the ESPYS or Grammy Awards or other awards. I often wonder what it'd been like for Jesus. I mean, imagine as he graduated from Jewish school and he walked across the state. Hey, we have we have Jesus. Hey, son of Joseph the carpenter. Like, calling cool, that next next? No, he's the Messiah. He's fully God and fully man. He's never sinned. Like, they didn't pause and say, "Woo, Jesus. No, they just pushed him on through. Next, next. And we do the same, don't we? Because we become so familiar with this thing. Like, yeah, I've been saved for so long, I forget what I've been saved from. Oh, and oh, we have to sing that Hark the Herald Angel," Or we get upset if we don't get to sing the songs that we want. You see, we get, we've lost It's not about all the peripheral. It's about Jesus. And Jesus only. We got to take our eyes off of ourselves. And go back to Jesus. Why? See, the world missed the greatest gift ever given. And some still do today. Because we think the next gift will bring lasting satisfaction when only Jesus can. Always remember this, that silver and gold will never do for you what Jesus can. Can I get an amen? Amen. I understand the benefits in gift giving, but hear me out. As you give this year, make sure. Listen, parents, make sure. Like, give. I I, I love the giving part. Jesus set the example. God set the example. He gave the perfect gift. Like, I love the gift giving. I, I enjoy giving. But listen, somehow in the Christmas season, don't allow your kids to miss the greatest gift that's ever been given. You see, somehow what happens is we think that this next thing, this, this gift, somehow this new thing will bring them more satisfaction and more joy than what Jesus gave. Listen, and when you go down that path, you're on a dangerous road away from God. There was a movie that came out a few years back, and, and, and it, 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 it demonstrates this incredibly well. So... Jingle all the way. Arnold Schwarzenegger. He was the absent dad. Some of you have seen that Christmas movie. And so he was trying to make up this gap that he had with his son. And so in order to make it up, because he wasn't in the picture, he, he tried He find, what, what Christmas gift does my son want? And he found that his son wanted Turbo Man. And so he was convinced, if I get him Turbo Man, that will take care of my absent Presence in his life. So he goes on this hunt. He goes on this hunt trying to find a turbo. He thinks he can go right out to the store, but it's the, the hottest gift of the Christmas season. And he soon finds out that turbo man's not available as much as he wanted to be. And this takes place. Watch this, watch this. Oh, excuse me. Yes? I'm trying to find a turbo man doll. Me too, me too. Do you have any more in the back? <laughs> what? <What's> you see <laughs> These, these guys are looking for a uh, turbo man a gentleman uh, uh, yes they're <laughs> looking the turbo, turbo man, man. <laughs> hey everybody these two are looking for a turbo man turbo no, man no. no, what's so funny where have you guys been turbo man's only the hottest selling christmas toy ever <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what we got plenty of turbo man's face. <laughs> Where's your Christmas spirit? That's better. Now, there must be a turbo man around here somewhere. Oh, God. Oh. The last one just left. Um some lady had it on layaway. A lady. Yeah. What lady? Uh, uh, uh just short uh, uh with with fur coat. Fur uh, coat. Uh-huh. Murko. Sorry, buddy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's funny, isn't it? But if we're not careful, that's what we do. We think that that gift will bring the satisfaction and joy. We think that somehow if we could give that gift to our kids at Christmas, that they'll be satisfied and the longings of their hearts will be fulfilled. But you know what happens? I mean, how many times have you found that gift? They end up playing with the box. And how many times have you finally gotten a gift? I remember Rock'em Sock'em Robots. If I could just get that, dear Jesus, Rock'em Sock'em Robots. And I got it. My brother and, or my sister and, and, and my siblings, all of us, we played it and we broke it in three weeks. See, we got to be careful. In our pursuit of silver and gold, that we dismiss Jesus. The gift takes us from scarcity to abundance. That's what the gift of Jesus does. Have you ever thought about it? Think about this gift. What does this gift do for us? Look at John chapter 10. Turn with me to John chapter 10. Please turn her. John's trying to describe who Jesus is. And, then, and so he reveals Jesus' heart. And Jesus actually says this himself. He says, this is what I bring to you. This is what I offer. This is what you have in me. John chapter 10 and verse 7, Jesus said again. He said, very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have what? Life and have it to the what? It's this picture that when you have Jesus, you are full of and you have abundance. You have more than enough. And and so John is describing that Jesus will never leave them. They'll know his voice. And it's this indication that God will be with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never, he'll never depart you. He will always be there. God with us. That's what the gift of Jesus offers you and me. And so those of us know Christ, we walked in. God is with us. We leave. God is with us. Everywhere we go, God is with us. He comforts. He holds. He protects. And John chapter 10 says no man can pluck us from the father's hand once he saves us we're saved eternal now that's good news that's better than any silver and gold Jesus provides salvation safety and sustenance for any who will enter through him it's the best gift ever (laughs) like if I had a microphone I'd drop it but I'd get in trouble by the tech guys like Jesus is the best gift ever that's it. There's this picture David tries to describe, and I love when he, when he describes it. I want you to turn to Psalm chapter 69, and it, 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 I think it's a picture of Jesus, and it should be a picture of us. Turn to Psalm chapter 69. As David the psalmist wrote many, many beautiful words and songs, and he says this in Psalm chapter 69, and it's kind of tucked him in, in the midst of this, this psalm that often gets overlooked, but it stands out 3D, and it's like, well, that's what Jesus does. Look at Psalm chapter 69. David's referring to himself. This is how he's feeling. But look what it says in verse 4 of Psalm 69. It says, those who hate me without reason outnumber the hairs on my head. I got lots of enemies. Many are my enemies without cause. Like, I didn't do anything to them. I don't even know why they're upset with me. I don't even know them. Those who seek to destroy me are everywhere, David said. And then he says, I am forced to what? What's the word? Restore That which I did not, what? It's the picture of Jesus. He came to restore broken things. He didn't create the mess. He didn't sin. He wasn't the sinner. He didn't didn't cause the sin. Yet he became the surrogate redeemer for us. You know, that's a good word. It's a real real good word in marriage, by the way. When we get married, and you stand before God, and the witnesses of that are with you, and you have a a pastor there performing the ceremony, you have the bride and the groom, and they become one before God. This bride walked into this marriage with baggage from her past, things that people did to them that the groom never did to her. Things that were stolen from her that he didn't steal. Same for the group. He comes walking in. He's had this past of abuse. He's had this past of pornography. He's had this past of gossip and hatred. She never did it. Now they come together as one. And we, as a couple one, we are responsible to restore what we did not do to each other. That's the beautiful picture of marriage. We accept these pains, these sins, these hardships. And even though I didn't do it, I'm the surrogate human redeemer for us. I will restore to you, baby, what has been stolen from you. Not because I did it, but because I love you. That's what God has done. He didn't sin. He didn't he didn't do anything against anyone. And so we walk into this covenant relationship where he is our God. And you know what Jesus does? He walks in and he says, guess what? I'm the redeemer. And I'm going to restore brokenness in your life, even though I didn't do anything to make that happen. I'm going to take sins that you have committed, even though I didn't cause you to sin. I'm going to take whatever happened in your past, whatever was done to you, I'm taking it to the cross. I'm the surrogate redeemer, and you will be restored fully in Jesus' name. Come on. Amen? Amen? Come on. Let me speak it. Come on. I need to hear an amen from if you believe it. Amen. That's what Jesus has done. That's the best gift ever. Let me say this to husbands. If you really love your wives, then anything that came with her that was done to her, you stand in the gap of brokenness and you say, even though I didn't do it, baby, I will restore what was stolen from you even though I didn't do it. That's called unconditional love. And that's what the gift of Jesus is. In Jesus' name, amen. Now go home. I want to say You see, if you want to perpetuate the love of Jesus to others, it begins by doing this with our own spouses, our own children, our own friends. You see, the pursuit of more will never replace Jesus. Don't let another Christmas season go back without counting the blessings that are all around you. He restores that which was broken. And when you trust in this miracle gift of Jesus and you recognize him as your Lord and Savior and repent of your sin, he can take from the ashes and the brokenness of your life and make you whole and you can walk in abundance with him. That is awesome. That should make you get up on Christmas morning and say, wah! You see, what Jesus did for us, we could have never done for ourselves. The fingerprints of Jesus are everywhere around us. You see, while the Jews might not have known that Jesus was the Messiah, let me tell you something. There was a man who lived during a time, his name was Herod. Have you ever wondered Why did Herod want to kill every baby boy two years and under on planet earth that was in the vicinity of Bethlehem? Why? Because he knew. He knew that the magi, the wise men had outwitted him. And he knew that there was great potential that the Jesus that the Old Testament had prophesied about, listen, he was on earth. And he knew if this baby grew up, he was in trouble, because the world had yet to see love like that. And you should know what he did? He said, "I'm going to take every two-year-old boy that's been born during this time period." And Herod put this proclamation declaration on Earth. He said, "Kill every baby boy that is two years." and why? Because he wanted to kill Jesus. He knew that Jesus was here. Now imagine, have you ever pulled away from that? So the angel of the Lord came to Joseph and said, and he said, Joseph, get out of here. Why, why, why do you want me to get out of here? He said, because they're going to kill Jesus. Flee to Egypt. So he flees to Egypt. And Matthew picks up on this story. And I want you to look at it with new lenses. Look at Matthew chapter two. This is all coming together. It's, it's this collision of, of, oh no, Jesus is here. Oh no, Herod knows. Oh no, what, what, what must we do with Jesus? Turn to Matthew chapter two. Come on, open it up. Just like you've never seen it before, don't say I already know it. Open up with new lenses. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 13. Look what it says. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to where? What he say? Egypt. Stay there until I tell you. For Herod is going to search for the child to what? What's it say? Kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night, and he left for Egypt. Where he stayed until the death of who? Herod. And so fulfilled what the Lord said through the prophet out of Egypt. I call it my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under. In accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. There it is. Prophecy being fulfilled. A voice is heard. And Rama weeping in great mourning. Why? Why is there weeping in great mourning? Because babies are dying everywhere. Mamas and dads are crying and weeping. And then it says this, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Have you ever considered? Maybe you haven't. But think about this. Word was on the street. Why are they killing all these baby boys? Like, what did we do? Why are you killing my son? Can you imagine? Like, we have newborns. How many of you have a two-year-old son or less, just newborn baby? Like, imagine, imagine. Romans, come knocking at your door. Bring your kid outside. Run a sword right through its heart. Boom. Baby's laying dead everywhere in Bethlehem in the vicinity. And word was on the street. Why are they killing all the babies? Who did this? What's wrong with Herod? And then word got back. There's this couple. They escaped. I heard that they're in Egypt. Their names are Mary and Joseph. And they got this special child called Jesus. And it's because of him. Herod wants to kill him. Herod thinks that's the Messiah. So he wants to kill him. He wasn't sure where he's at, so he just killed all the boys. Imagine, have you ever thought? Imagine the disdain and the hatred that every parent felt towards Mary and Joseph. Have you ever thought about that? Imagine them, like they didn't do anything, but she just carried the Messiah, and now everyone in Bethlehem, everyone in the vicinity, they hate their guts because it was because of your boy that my boy is dead. And this says Herod dies, they come back to Bethlehem. Do you think it was a welcome? Glad to have you back? You bet it wasn't, because they remembered. It was because of your son that my son died. Now imagine coming back to Bethlehem. There were no boys in Bethlehem that were Jesus' age. Why? He went to school, and as he went to school, there was this gap. All the people within two years, there were no boys but him. He's the one. He's the guilty one. It's because of you that my brother died. It's because of you that my son died. You see, we forget all that. You see, what Jesus did, no man would ever do. He came because he loved us. The first Christmas changed everything. The world would never be the same again. Jesus is the best gift ever. May his birth, please, it would break my heart if you hear these truths today. And it doesn't, like, shake you up. May his birth never become so familiar that it loses its value in your hearts. Jesus, Messiah, Blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, God with us. Oh God, help us. May we never let the other things of earth, the silver and gold and the pursuit of other things squash and diminish the truth that Jesus is the best gift ever. And God, I pray that this Christmas season that that this birth and your son would wouldn't become so familiar that we neglect to remember what you gave up to come to us. We love you, God. And may that stir a new wonder in our heart. And may we move from the sidelines to the playing field. And may the world see that Jesus lives in us. Emmanuel, Redeemer, God with us. In Jesus' name, amen.